everybody. Welcome back to another episode of What If I Told You How Religion Ruined Me and Jesus Saved Me, where I detail my experience of life in religion and what I learned as I broke free from the toxic teachings that are honestly uh, widely preached across the church today. Before we begin, Man, life in quarantine has been so crazy. I hope you are staying sane. Everyone is getting their stimulus checks this week. Before, well, I think it's important to know, if you're listening to this in the future, um, sometime down the road, uh, this episode is being recorded in the middle of quarantine from coronavirus. So keep that in mind. But yeah, I, I hope you are staying sane. I know a lot of us are getting our um, our stimulus checks this week, and I have not gotten mine. I'm waiting for it. Thank you, government, for that. Um, but I think it, I think it's safe to say that all of us are ready for this to just all be over. Uh, I know I am. I, I keep saying, it's so funny, I keep seeing people are posting on Facebook um, and, and Instagram and Twitter and, and all the things that people are really missing going to work. Not even just for like the, the paycheck, obviously, but I think people are genuinely missing like going to work, which is so funny. Like everyone keeps saying, I never thought I'd say this, but I really, <laughs> I miss going to work. I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I don't, well, I'm still at work, but I just miss like normal life. I just want to go to the movies. Like I just, I keep telling my friends, I just want to go to the movies. I just, honestly, I want to go to the gym. I miss going to the gym. I miss just being able to sit down at a restaurant. And so I'm ready for this all to be over. Um, but I'm thankful that in the midst of all of this, it's allowing space, um, for things like this to be created. Um, and I'm really hoping and praying that it's, you know, that this whole thing is bringing you closer together with the people, um, that are most important to you, um, whether that's in person or, you know, FaceTiming family or, um, whatever that looks like, you know, we're all in this together. And so, uh, I hope that you're using this time intentionally to connect with the people around you because it's, it's super important. There's no better time to stay connected. Um, we're, we're separated, but we're still connected. And so, um, I hope that, quarantine has been at least serving you well in that area of life. We're going to get into it today, man. If you haven't gotten the chance to listen to the first two episodes yet, um, I really encourage you to go check those out. Um, So far, I've detailed a few pieces of my experience of living in religion, uh, what my spiritual life looks like right now. And then last week, we uh, talked about the part of the story of Jesus dying on the cross that not a lot of us and that you may not have heard. And so if you haven't heard those two, go check them out for sure. I really think you're going to enjoy them and um, be informed um, by them. But this week, we're going to continue to dive into some foundational thoughts that are going to serve as foundation for what um, or we're going to talk about over the next coming episodes, which I'm really, really excited about because in uh, the next few episodes, I'm going to be bringing on some guests um, and we're going to have some conversations to help bring some insight into what I believe is really going to truly, honestly, truthfully set you free. Um, Whether you've left, and this applies, whether you've left the church and abandoned the idea of God, or if you're still in the church, what we're going to be talking about in the next episodes to come is for you regardless. So with that said, let's dive right in. What if I told you that the way you view God can hurt you? I think it's implied in the rhetorical question, but it can. And there's a chance that it probably is, even if you don't see it. 
in order to grasp just how much this is true, let's take it all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to where it all started. Now, for those who may not know what I'm talking about, the Garden of Eden is where Adam and Eve um, lived at the time of creation before they ate the forbidden fruit. And I think it's safe to say that all of us know the story of Adam and Eve, even if we didn't grow up in church. Um, but we're not going to get into the specifics of that part of the story today. Although I can pretty confidently say for sure, 100% definitely that I'm going to um, dive into that in another episode because there's so much in that part of the story. But right now, what I want to focus on is what happened after they ate the forbidden fruit. Okay, so we're going to dive right into a little piece of the Bible um, found in Genesis chapter 3. So listen to this. This is, this is out of the Bible. Then the eyes of both of them, being Adam and Eve, were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they f- sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves as clothes. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man, Adam, and said to him, Where are you? God said, Where are you? And he said, being Adam, he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. That comes out of Genesis chapter 3. Now I find it really interesting that immediately after Adam and Eve's eyes were opened, the first thing they did, they immediately began sewing fig leaves together and making clothes for themselves. Because up to this point, think about it, like God created them, right? And scripture tells us that they lived and walked the garden, um, living in fellowship and in relationship with God because they had been fully reliant on God to provide everything they need, right? Food, shelter, everything they needed, Adam and Eve, everything they needed was provided to them. And because of that, their focus was solely on living in fellowship with God and in in relationship with God. But as soon as their eyes were opened to, to the knowledge of good and evil, what was the first thing that they did? What was their first reaction? They started making things their own. And that's what happens with you. And that's what happens with me as well. The moment we take our eyes off of our perfected relationship with God, or the moment our eyes are taken by someone else off of our perfected relationship with God, what's the first thing we do? We start trying to make things happen on our own. I mean, really think about that for a second. We've all done it, and most likely we all do it today. So I want you to ask yourself, have you ever thought something like this to yourself at one point or another? I just need to blank, right? Fill in the blank for yourself. I just need to whatever. I just need to read the Bible more, right? I just need to get closer to God. I just need to become more spiritually disciplined. I just need to this. I just need to do that, right? Here's another one. If I can just blank, again, fill in the blank for yourself. If I can just get this part of my life together, my whole life would be so much better. If I can just stop doing this one sin, my relationship with God would be way better off, right? If I could just be better at um, at going to church more often, I feel like I'd, I would feel closer to God. If I can just blank, right? Here's another one. I just need to be better about blank. I mean, they're all connected, but they all hit in very different ways. 
if I, or I just need to be better about fasting. I just need to be better. This is a big one for me. I just need to be better at, um, at spending intentional time with, with Jesus. That was a big one for me. I just need to be better at spending intentional time with Jesus. I just need to be better at this. I just need to be better about whatever. And we do it. We all think that at some point in our life. And this is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. Their eyes were open to good and evil, which led them to begin what? They began a do-it-yourself system. But why did this happen? Adam and Eve began this do-it-yourself system because their view of God changed. Their view of God switched from a fully sufficient father to a sheriff who was ready to punish them. I mean, Adam went from complete bliss to pure fear in an instant. And why? Because he began to view God in a different way. Now, it's important to note that Adam and Eve, uh, their view of God changed because, honestly, their relationship with God changed. It became fractured, right? Sin entered the picture, and that drove um, separation. It drove a wedge between man and God. And so it's natural that their view of God would change. But, like I talked about last week, our relationship, your and my relationship with God was completely, it was fully, and it was perfectly restored at the cross. And it was restored forever, regardless of our ability to behave, right? So I want to pose this question today. Why do we continue to view God the way that Adam did after the fall? Think about that. Why do we continue to view God as believers the way that Adam did after the fall? Now, this may not make sense, but I'm, I'm going to get into the details of that in a second. I mean, sure, we believe that he loves us and that uh, God is good. But then again, we were also taught, and a lot of us believe things that are contradictory to that truth. I mean, I know I did. I believed a whole bunch of stuff about God that wasn't entirely true. And here's a few of them, right? I believed that God was wishy-washy or he was confused, right? God was wishy-washy. He was happy with me one moment. And he was disappointed with me the next. He was happy with me when I did well. And he was a little bit disappointed with me when I didn't. Regardless of the fact that I was taught that his love was quote unquote unconditional. I believed that I broke his heart and that I disappointed him when I did wrong or when I misbehaved. I believed that God, I believed that God was on the edge of his seat. He was full of wrathful justice and, and he's ready for the moment that I mess up so he can remind me that I need to do better and that I'm not doing a good enough job and maybe even take my blessings away. I know that sounds harsh, but like, it's something that I truly believed. I believed that God was on the edge of his seat, ready to remind me that I messed up and that I needed to do a better job at keeping the rules, right? This is an interesting term, but it's the only way that I could think to, to properly articulate the way I saw him. I believed that God was my kind dictator. Okay, I believed that he was my dictator that made me follow a whole bunch of rules and I'd get punished if I didn't follow them and if I did wrong. But at least other than that, he's pretty kind, right? So no, here's the thing. Even if a dictator is kind, that doesn't change the fact that he's a dictator. Uh, And here's another one. He loved me, but there was always a but in the picture, right? He loved me, but if I did wrong, you know, it it was a little bit tarnished. He loved me, but I needed to not mess up. He loved me, but I still needed to search him so I could find him, right? He loved me, 
but there was some sort of distance that I had to, to close. He loved me, but there was always a button in the picture. And here's the big one. And this may mess with you a little bit because there's plenty of people who view God in this way, but I viewed God as a harsh judge, an angry judge. He was kind to me because I was a believer, but he's harsh on me if I lived in sin and he's harsh on those who live in sin. And I can pretty confidently say that just about all of us have viewed or currently view God in at least one of these ways. I mean, think about it. We hear and say stuff like this all the time. You ready for this? Be careful. God's watching you. Oh my gosh. I heard that all the time as a kid. Hey, be careful. God's watching you. (laughs) So creepy, but it's true. I heard it all the time. How about this one? If Jesus was in the room, hey, Jaron, if Jesus was in the room, what would he think of what you're doing? Would he approve of it? Think about that. If Jesus was in the room, Jaron, would he approve of what you're doing? Here's another one. And I I, I say this because I heard this on a, uh, a movie trailer the other day. Um, and it fit perfectly because this is just the perfect, um, this is the epitome of something that just paints a wrong picture of God. I heard this the other day and I heard this all the time growing up too. I'd rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. My goodness. You don't want to be judged by God. So you need to stand with him. I'd rather be judged by the world. (laughs) And here's the thing. If you've ever thought any of these things or viewed God in any of these ways, I want to break something to you. Viewing God in that way is hurting you. And it's debilitating your ability to live in freedom. It's ruining your ability to live in a relationship that's consistent with God's character. And it's taking away your ability to experience the fullness of just how good God is. And we we misinterpret who God is for a ton of reasons. But I want to highlight a couple of them because I feel like they're important to note. The first of which is this. We were taught it. We were taught these things. And more importantly, we and there's one I want to touch on. We were taught that he's a wrathful God who demands justice. And I always found this super interesting because it's such an oxymoron, right? I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We said this, he's a loving God, but at the same time, we always say too that he's ready to pour out his wrath and his judgment on you if you live in sin. And if we're honest, this drives a ton of people away from church. I mean, I personally know people who live with this thing pretty high on their list of why they don't believe. And we hear it all the time in church and we hear it and we see it all the time in scripture and even in scripture, you know, in in verses in the New Testament, verses like Romans 2, 5, listen to this, this is out of the Bible, but because of your hard hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Stuff like John 3, 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. All right. You know, like that's what good news. No, it's not. It's, it's awful news. And in the way that we read it. And because of that, I want to take a moment to, to clear up this myth, the myth of God's wrath, because as weird as this may sound, it's a lot better than you think. So if you look a little bit further than just the surface level of 
some of these pieces of the Bible. And I, first of all, I encourage you to look a little bit deeper than just the surface level of some of these things you may read in scripture that sound um, really negative. But this particular example, if you look at a little bit further, you'll find something really interesting and honestly really incredible. The majority of the places in the New Testament where this word wrath is used, including the two places that I just mentioned, the majority of these places where the word wrath is used, uses the Greek word spelled O-R-G-E. And I don't even know how to pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try. Greek is really complicated. Um, But this word translates to this. Listen closely. It translates to desire, violent passion, or to reach after or desire something. Think about that. God's wrath translates to desire, violent passion, or to reach after or desire something. Now, I know this sounds totally contradictory to what God's wrath should be and what we probably heard um, God's wrath was, but it changes everything because as a believer, we have, as a new covenant believer more particularly, we have a different view of what God's wrath is. This is really important to understand. God's wrath is not his anger being poured out on you. It has nothing to do with his anger. It has everything to do with his desire and his violent passion reaching out to you. I mean, think about it. If you have kids, even if you don't, think about it this way. If you walked outside and you saw one of your kids um, entrapped by a lethal animal, a snake, or you can make it a criminal, whatever you want to make it. If you saw one of your kids in lethal danger, wouldn't you reach out violently and try to set your kid free from what's killing them and save them? Well, of course you would. You're a good parent. You would reach out and you would try and save your kid from what was killing them. Now, to your child, to your kid, it may look like you're really angry and you're upset. But to you, the one reaching out to try and save, all it was was your passion, your violent passion to reach out and pull your child out of danger. So with this in mind, I want to take a second, let's reframe our mind and let's renew our mind to a new reality. God is not angry. His wrath is not one of anger, but his wrath is simply his passion for you. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. And I have to remind myself of that a lot. And I'll say it over and over This is such good news. God's wrath is not his anger on you. It's not him pouring out anger on you. God's wrath is his passion toward you. Oh my goodness. I could stop right there and that would be enough. Oh, that's so good. I hope that hits you. God's wrath is not his anger. It is his passion for you. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's move on. The second reason we misinterpret who God is lies in this. A lot of times we view God by way of human love and typically by the way we view our earthly father. Now, for those of us who grew up um, with an earthly father who maybe wasn't the best, um, maybe didn't treat you the right way, maybe wasn't around, maybe was you know completely absent from your life, what happens a lot is they attribute the way their earthly father was, um, the, the way their earthly father was to them, to the way that God is to them, right? So we, we 
honestly kind of project our, our earthly father onto how God is. And because of that, we view God in terms of the human love we receive from others. And what does that love look like? Well, it's, it's fickle, it's inconsistent, um, it's fading, and ultimately it fails, right? We, I think we have all experienced that at least one time in our life, um, people's love for us failing. Um, and so a lot of times that's how we view God. We view him through the lens of the way we view other people. But if this is you, I want to I want to speak a piece of scripture out of James chapter one over you because this is incredibly encouraging for the scenario. It says this: every good thing and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, who is who is God, in whom there is no variation, and there is no shadow cast by His turning, for He is perfect, and He never changes. The way you view God does not need to be predicated on how you view others because God God does not treat you the way other people treat you. People are inconsistent. People let you down. But God is consistent. There is no variation in him, meaning there is nothing that varies. There is nothing that changes about him. He isn't fickle. He isn't bound to let you down. He is consistent in his love towards you. And even scripture says, even when we are faithless, he remains full of faith. He remains faithful. So if that is you, if you view God and and predicated on the way that you view other people or the way other people treat you, be encouraged by that today, that God is not inconsistent in the way that people are inconsistent. God is not failing in the way that other people are failing. Nothing changes about him. There is no variation. There is no shadow cast because he turns, because he doesn't. He's perfect and he never changes. So the third reason we misinterpret um, who God is, is this. It's because we view ourselves the wrong way. We view ourselves as peasants, right? We view ourselves as just kind of citizens in the kingdom, um, someone who just kind of made it in, and we just we just get to live in it, right? Um, and because we view ourselves the, the wrong way, it makes us view God the wrong way. We view God as our sheriff. Another way to view it is in the perspective of kind of a peasant-king relationship, right? We view God as the king, and we view us as just the peasant in his kingdom. And while, yes, God is king... Our view of this peasant-king relationship is entirely wrong. And if that's the way you live and you view your relationship with God as one of living simply as a peasant in his kingdom, I want to tell you it's hurting you. Yes, God is king, but the Bible says that he is what? The Bible says that he is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. This isn't talking about, you know, kings... Nebuchadnezzar. This isn't talking about King David. This isn't talking about the King of England. This is talking about you. This is you. The Bible says that you are a co-heir with Christ, meaning that you are not a peasant. As a believer, you are a king. You reign with Christ. You don't just simply live in the kingdom. You reign in the kingdom. So stop. I want to, I want you, I want to implore you. Okay. Stop living like you're simply a peasant or a mere citizen. You reign with Christ. This takes away the need to walk around living a less than life, which is honestly a life that I lived for so long. I believed the foundation of my spiritual life was me doing my best to earn my spot into the kingdom. 
and I could just live in the kingdom as a citizen. And I was totally happy with that. But my whole world shifted and my whole perspective changed when I realized that I wasn't a peasant, that I'm a king. And when you start living with that perspective of your relationship with Christ, that you are not a peasant, you are a king. The way you view God is going to drastically change for the better. You're, you're going to stop seeing him as simply just your rule driver and your executioner and your sheriff. You're going to start seeing him for who he truly is. And that is a king who's brought you in to reign with him. So from the moment of the fall of Adam and Eve, humanity lived roughly 4,000 years with a fractured relationship with God, which explains why humanity viewed God in a fractured way. Humanity lived under a rule system of trying and working to stay in relationship with God, but we no longer live under that system. Jesus finished work, took us out of that system, and our relationship with God as a believer was restored. Hear me, it was restored. Our relationship with God is not being restored. It's not going to be restored. It was restored in Jesus. In fact, scripture calls Jesus the second Adam, right? Listen to the Bible talk about this in Romans chapter five, because this is really powerful. It says this, for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man the second Adam, Jesus Christ. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift in Jesus leads to our being made right with God. Though Adam brought a fractured relationship with God, y'all, we don't live by that Adam. We don't live by that system. We live by the second and the better Adam, who is Jesus who has restored our relationship with God. It is such good news to know that we don't live under the system of do-it-yourself religion anymore, which is the system that Adam introduced. We live under the system that Jesus wrote in his own blood, and that is a system of trusting him to do work through you. And more than that, our relationship with God was restored to perfect union because why? Because sin died. It's a little bit compl- this is a little bit complicated, but listen, because Second Corinthians lets us know that Jesus became sin when he died. He didn't just you know die for your sin. He did. He didn't just bear your sin. He didn't just die for your sin. He became the entity of sin, so that when Jesus died, guess what? Sin died with him. I mean, 2 Corinthians tells us this. It's a really popular verse. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that through him we might become the righteousness of God, right? Jesus became sin so that when he died, sin died. And now, because sin died, it has no power over you, and it has no power over me. So what does this mean? If you take anything away from these these few minutes of listening to to this episode of this podcast, I want you to understand this, okay? Listen in very closely because this is the one thing I want you to understand. Because of the fact that our relationship with God has been restored through Jesus, the way we view God is now restored all the way back to the Garden of Eden before the fall. 
Because our relationship with God was restored in Jesus, we now can view God the way that Adam did before sin was ever introduced into the into our perspective. So don't live your life viewing God as if we're still in like a broken relationship with him and seeing him as something that he's not. Our relationship with God has been restored to what it was before sin even entered our perspective. So you don't need to view God as a sheriff. You don't need to view God as an angry judge. You don't need to view God as a wishy-washy ruler. You don't need to, to view him as a kind dictator. You know why? Because we view God in a different way. And how do we view God now as a new covenant believer? Here's how we view God now. God is consistent in his approval of you. The Bible says that he's prepared a table for you in the midst of your enemies, right? Well, your enemies does not mean your haters, okay? So what's your enemy? Listen to this. Your enemy is anything that attempts to take your focus off of the goodness of God and who he's made you to be and tries to turn your attention to a do-it-yourself religious system. And God has made a table for you in the midst of it all. Even better than that, he's made a seat for you at the, at the table of his consistent, his unwavering approval and acceptance of you. He's a one-way God. Now, let me explain this. The old covenant, the covenant based on Adam, was based on rules and it was based on traditions, meaning that it was up to us to keep our end of the deal. But the new covenant based on Jesus, has nothing to do with rules, has nothing to do with traditions, has nothing to do with us keeping any end of the deal. The new covenant that Jesus wrote is based on God's unwavering promises to you and to me. And as a believer, listen to this, you're accepted and that's that. There's no ifs, ands, buts, or arguments about it. As a believer, you are accepted And now because of that, you can view him as a God who's fully accepted you. You aren't partially accepted. You aren't accepted with conditions. You aren't accepted based on your behavior. You are accepted because that's who he is. He has accepted you because that's his character. That's good, man. That's good. He is consistent and he is faithful even when you aren't. Like I said earlier, scripture tells us that even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Scripture tells us that. And and now I understand that we all have moments, and I have them myself, where we don't live up to who we are. But what a beautiful thing it is that even in those moments, he remains faithful for us, and he remains faithful to us. He is a truthfully good father, a truly good father. And listen to me closely, the desire of God's heart is to pour out goodness on you. The desire of God's heart is to pour out goodness on you. Ready for a scandalous one? God is more concerned about you seeing how good he truly is than you behaving. Let me say it this way. God wants you to see his goodness more than he wants you to behave. Now, I know this seems a little bit out of order and maybe just straight up wrong to some of you, but hear me, behavior follows belief. In other words, what you believe determines the way you act. And I'll say it over and over and over again till my mouth is dry. As new covenant believers, we are not in a fractured relationship with God. 
what are we in? We're in perfect union with him, which means that we do not view God as a rule keeper. We view God who as a God who's faithful through it all. He wants us to believe in his goodness way before he wants us to behave. God is not angry. God is full of love. And you know why? Because that is who he is. I know a lot of us say this, but I want you to really think about if you truly believe this, because I want you to believe it. God is not angry. He's never going to be angry with you. He is full of love because that is who he is. I mean, the Bible tells us, right? It puts it simply. It says God is love. He doesn't just love. God is love, right? It's pretty basic. And you want to know what else scripture says? There is no fear in love. Instead, what does perfect love do? It drives out fear. And I want to stop for a second and say that anything that is based on fear, anything that is based on condemnation, anything that is based on judgment, and anything that is based on anger is not of God. I want to say that so clearly. Anything that is based out of anger, anything that anyone tries to use against you that is based on anger, judgment, fear, or or condemnation is not of God because that's not who he is. You don't have to be fearful of an angry God because that's not him. He is love perfected. And that perfected love is aimed directly toward you. Oh, that's so good. His perfected love is aimed directly at you. I want you to stop for a second and say that over yourself. I don't I don't know why I'm feeling this, but I I feel like it's important to stop at this moment and I want you to say that to yourself. God's love is perfected. And his perfected love is aimed directly toward me. I want you to say that God's love is perfected and his perfected love is aimed directly toward me. Say that to yourself. What a reminder. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so this is the absolute biggest one to me. And like I said earlier, this is probably the biggest one to me because this is probably the one that I believed the most. God is not an angry or a, a dirty judge. Now, don't get me wrong, scripture says and scripture describes God as a judge because he is, God is a judge and his judgment is on you, (laughs) right? Like it sounds so negative. His judgment is on you. He's judged you, but he's judged you innocent. Check this out in Romans chapter eight. It says this. So now those who are in Christ Jesus are not judged guilty. And if you're not judged guilty, well, there's only one other option, right? You're judged what? innocent. It continues to say this, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit that brings life made you free from the law that brings sin and death. God is not an angry judge waiting for the moment you mess up to cast out his judgment on you. His judgment is out. Hey, the verdict is in and his verdict is final. Isn't that a relief? I mean, it is. It's such a relief. And let me assure you that that is who God is. And who God is does not change. God does not have another side to him, right? God does not have multiple personality disorder. God is not the ways that I just described one day and angry the next. He's not wishy-washy like that, right? He's not happy with you one second and angry with you the next. 
He's a fully, fully good father who lives to bring you goodness. He's not halfway good. He's not conditionally good. He's truly good. The Bible gives perfect examples of how our view of God determines the way we live our life. I mean, just look at Paul, right? Look at the Apostle Paul. He began his life in the beginning of portion of his life. He tyrannized the church. He tyrannized those who believed in Jesus. He literally spent his life killing people who believed that Jesus was the son of God. I mean, he and it was because he viewed God as a vengeful, angry God. That was until one day, and most people who grew up in church know the story. He was blinded while traveling to a city called Damascus. He was blind for three days as God revealed to him the truth behind who Jesus was. And in one moment, the Bible says something like scales fell from Paul's eyes. And this is something that I wholeheartedly believe to be Paul's previous view of God, right? It says something like scales fell from his eyes and he immediately declared Jesus for who he was. Now, the, the thing is, this isn't even the best part of the story. The best part of the story is the fact that Paul went on to be arguably the best and most effective apostle in the history of the church. I mean, he wrote roughly two-thirds of your New Testament in your Bible. He helped spark the spread of the church across the entire world, all because his eyes were open to the reality of who God truly is. I mean, Paul, before this happened, Paul spent his entire life studying Scripture. He memorized entire books of the Old Testament. He committed his entire life to the study of the law. But it wasn't until his perspective shifted onto Jesus that his life and his ministry became truly effective. Now, does that sound familiar? Because it does to me. It sounds a lot like me. I I spent a lot of my time trying to get as good as I could at reading the Bible as much as I could, devoting my life as much as I could, at least, to ministry and doing my best to live morally and and. I'll say that all those things are good things, right? It's good to read your Bible. It's good to, um, to, to you know, have your life in ministry. Um, and it's good to live morally, right? Those are all good things. But what makes it not good is doing it out of the wrong place. And that's where I was. And it wasn't until I began to view God for who he truly is that I began to live in true relationship with him. And I began to live in freedom in my relationship with him. And the same goes for you. The way you view God, it can and it will hurt you. If you view him the wrong way, you're going to live in wrong relationship with him. But when you shed the wrong ideas of God we've all had, and you start to see him for his true character as a good father who gives good gifts, your relationship with him is going to drastically change. You're, and you're going to start receiving goodness from him. You're going to start receiving his peace. You're going to start receiving his confidence. You're receiving his joy. And you'll live in assurance. You're going to live in assurance of his acceptance of you. And it's a life of resting in his goodness and trusting him to work through you. Don't let your perspective of God be anything other than good. Because that's who he is. His entire character is wrapped up in goodness. Don't let your perspective be shifted to anything other than that. Because anything other than that is not true. And anything other than that is not 
who God is. Man, it's so good. And it's, it, and I hope that registered with you today. Um, because I promise you the way you live in relationship with him is going to shift when you start viewing him the right way. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for um, taking another piece of your day and your week and your month and even your year. Hey, what's up, friends reference um, to to listen in. It, I say this all the time, but I really mean it. It means the world to me. So thank you so much. Do me a favor. Um, rate the podcast, um, leave a review. It really helps um, my searchability go up for the podcast and um, for people to be able to see it and be impacted by the truth um, of the good news. That's what I'm about. I'm about good news. And so um, do do that for me. Share it with your friends. And um, I'm so thankful that you were here. Next week, we are going to get into something that I'm super excited about. I'm not even going to tell you what it is, um, but I will tell you that it's something that I have been waiting to talk about for quite some time now. So make sure you tune in next week. It's going to drop Friday morning. And so make sure you um, catch that as well. Guys, thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Safe week as well. Love you guys. See you next week.